you for listening to this message from the North Gate. So in that, I want to be very transparent in what I'm about to teach tonight. And I want to be very transparent of where I'm at as a leader. One of the things that I want to say to this house, whether you're watching on live stream, hear this in the podcast, or you're live in this room, we all have to come to a choice in the road of whether what we're looking for is casual Christianity or are we looking for a revolution? And I'm asking you all that in all seriousness. If you are looking for a revolution, it's going to cost you something. Jesus was a revolutionary. It cost him his life. But he said in losing his life, he actually gained it. And a lot of times we're in a tug of war of identity. Inside of this message that we're preaching in beloved identity, we're in a tug of war because we live in a narcissistic society that is teaching you to embrace self-image, promote self-image in every single thing that you do. We are taught in a gospel that the greatest love that you can do is lay down your life for somebody else. And what happens is we miss the fact of living a life that makes an impact on other people. What we have to ask ourselves is the life that I'm living, how is it affecting other people? And what happens inside of narcissism and what happens inside of selfishness, we start living a life that promotes ourself rather than how am I impacting the world? When God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. When God gave his son and his son yielded to it, that made an impact for everybody else on the planet. Now inside of that, Jesus turns to us in a conversation with Nicodemus on what do I have to do to begin to be saved? And he begins to say, if any man loses his life, he gains it. And what we're trying to figure out how to do is how to promote our lives. We're trying to figure out how, social media is completely ruining that. Because what we do is we become comparison to everybody else, their marriages, their homes, their cars. We thought it was bad before living like the Joneses when I grew up in the 80s and the 90s. Living like the Joneses today, wanting everything that everybody else has rather than realizing you have to live within your own means. You have to realize that there are blessings of daily bread that God gives to you and to your family. Now, everything that I have need of, the Bible says that I should never have to worry about. That God knows that everything that I need, he'll give to me. If, listen, foxes have holes and birds have nests, then you have to understand we have to have a place where the Son of Man can lay his head. If he's going to provide the flowers and the grass to begin to grow, how much more does he love you and I? How much more does he love you and I? And what we have lost sight of across the board in America is we have lost sight of how much God loves us because we're so stuck staring at our own self-image. We're stuck staring at the image of who we are, whether good or bad. And so inside of the Ishmael message and beloved identity message, it's not so much of how bad and I'm not good enough. We hit on that enough, especially in the Christian realm. But what happens when we think that we're more than what we ought to be, but really inside we think we're not good enough? We say we're doing the best we've ever done in devotion. We're saying we do, but we can see you. I preached the message a long time ago about the person carrying the chair. I'm good, you can't, yet we see you. And we love you. Listen, we see you, young generation, but we love you. 
We see you, older generation, not living in the fullness and joy of the Lord, but we love you. We see you, young generation, who have no clue the dreams and all of the hope and the plans that God has. We see you, but you're stuck only seeing yourself. From the young to the old, we're seeing what we haven't accomplished and what we haven't done and where we have failed and where we're missing the mark. And God is screaming, you're my beloved, you're my beloved, you're my beloved. And then we have a young generation that has everything ahead of them. They don't realize they have everything ahead of them. And we're screaming to them, you're loved, you're loved, you're loved. And they're saying, but we don't want your kind of love. Because what everything in the whole world is looking for is wholeness. They're looking for wholeness. And so inside of that, go with me to, uh, Kevin, follow with me. Go to James, and I hit on this a little bit last night, and I am right. This is going to be my introduction for today till we get in over here. We have to begin to understand, we're called to build a culture here. You guys are going to ruffle me to no ends if you try to make me some counseling pastor. You're going to ruffle me to no ends which means you want to have a ton of phone calls, conversations, sit around my fire, and you want me to be, what is, it, what is that famous doctor? Doctor who? Dr. Phil. I'm not Dr. Phil. I am not. But what's happening inside of America is we're turning every pastor into Dr. Phil, and I don't want to be Dr. Phil. You know what I want to do? 5.30 in prayer meetings. You know what I want to do? I want to take a group of people to Toledo and set a high school on blaze. This is, I want to go down to Mobile and be with my apostle and get baptized in the fires of revival. I want to go after the things of God. I want to prayer walk the city. And then high schoolers going, coach, we saw you walk around the city. What were you doing? Praying. Why? Because you need to understand the love of God. You were really walking. How far did you walk? I walked from the church all the way down to Buffalo Wild Wings through the neighborhood went and laid hands on the new Twisted Scissors building, was speaking blessing over all of our businesses, bars and our bars, mess with the religious people. Anybody who owns anything in our city, we were blessing you. So now what you want me to be is Dr. Phil. You come and find out if I'm good enough or not good enough. We start eating from the tree of Adam, what's good for us, what's not good for us. When I tell you as a counselor what you don't like to hear, you get mad and go find another counselor. Whether that's another pastor or a brother or a sister. And so we get caught in this confined of wanting to be a casual, everyday church that, listen, I just want to make heaven my home. And that's awesome. I want to go to heaven too. But I was also promised heaven on earth. And that's where our message messes with people. Our message starts saying that you can have access what's up there and actually have it down here. And the real truth is it's closer than you think. That's why Jesus himself told you to pray on earth as it is in heaven. We have got to get the realization that he wants us to have an understanding that heaven is at your fingertips. That's why Jesus himself, when he preached, he preached the kingdom was at hand. He did not ask you, do you want to go to heaven or hell? Because he knew he didn't prepare hell for any of us, but what he did prepare for you was, he said, I go and prepare a place for you. He did prepare a place for us, which was called heaven. And it was so amazing that he didn't want you to just have it when you're dead. He actually wanted you to have it more when you're alive. Breathe. I wanted to be calm, but there's always something that doesn't allow me to be calm. It's called how I was created. It's called how I was created. I so wanted to just sit behind that chair tonight 
and just talk to you guys. And then all of a sudden, I start talking about all this cool stuff, and I get all excited on the inside. And I'm like, man, what does it look like for Streetsboro to redeemed and actually be the heaven it was called to be? But you won't let Streetsboro be your heaven because you're dreaming of something else. And this is where you live. You live in Ohio. You don't live in Florida. You don't live in Texas. You don't live in Georgia. You are called to reclaim and reform this right here. You, you, entrepreneurs, you, witty inventions, you. And you want normal everyday church to deal with your actually small problems, but you allow your small problems to become a big deal because you won't allow the kingdom to transform you and fix you into everything that you were supposed to be in the earth. And it's perfect love coming in and exposing all of our flaws. And what we want to do is like the story of Gideon. Anytime our flaws get exposed, we want to hide. We want to hide. And so God said, I'll create a community, a koinonia, to where you can actually be broken and it be exposed and we be loving. But the church became more judgmental of our flaws than loving of our flaws. Why? Because we have been taught since day one. We have been taught. I, Jimmy Lovejoy, have been taught to look at what's wrong and try to fix it. I have been taught how to stare at my self-image, what I look like, what I'm not good at, what do I got to fix, what do I got to do this? And that is nominal Christianity that does not represent the kingdom. He comes in with a holy hush of love and can transform you in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. He can begin to change how you view yourself, how you view your spouse, how you view everybody else. But what has to happen is you have to allow the love to rush in to the weak areas of your life. And when we stare at ourselves, we only want to celebrate what's good. And the, listen, we were taught songs as little kids where we are weak, he is strong. What's the next part? Yes, Jesus loves me. I said this last night to Toledo and it did not go over good. I said, we so want to push rules and regulations on everybody. But the Bible literally says that it is love that covers a multitude of sin, not rules. It's love that covers a multitude of sin. And what we have an issue with is living in love. Being taught the kingdom means being taught how to live in love. But first, we have to understand, Streetsboro, we are called, watch this, we are called to be reformers. We are called to be revolutionaries. Why? Because the God you serve is a revolutionary. The God you serve is a reformer. He is not just the good, awesome God that saves you from hell. He's actually the God that died to save the world. And if he's the God that decides to save the world, then when you begin to lose your life, you'll begin to gain your life so that you can be an agent of him inside of love to bring transformation. And not only bring transformation to you, but bring transformation to everybody around you and bring transformation in the next generation. We need to put a seed of revival, reformation, renewal, and redemption inside of the next generation generation that when they see things off guess what they start saying loves the answer loves the answer so the best place to find that is in first james 27 the king james version that i grew up on says real religion real religion undefiled untapped untouched that's the translation of the king james version real religion undefiled is to take care of orphans and widows. 
Brian Simmons translates it like this, and I love it because we can begin to understand it a little bit more. True spirituality, because that's what we gain for. We gain for inside of a spiritual realm of a dimension because we serve a spiritual God. We just don't serve a deity that saves me from hell. I actually serve a God that created the earth with Adam and wants to recreate with you. Okay? So inside of that, literally, true spirituality that is pure in the eyes of our Father God, is to make a difference. Listen, is your life affecting other peoples for the positive of the kingdom? Is your life affecting people so you get your way? Or are we creating a way for it? See, this is what happens. When my heart's broke, when I'm hurt, when I'm weak, you know what I want? I want to go to the pharmacy. I want to take cold medicine. I want a quick fix right now. And because we've been trained with colds and with everything else and antibiotics to get a quick fix, then I guess when my heart's broken, if you just give me my way and give me what I want, then I'll feel great. And that doesn't help either. It's only a pacifier. That's why we call it a pacifier because when a baby's hungry, we put a pacifier in its mouth to pacify it when it has needs and that's what we've done with false religion and false light we've created a passivity of a message of hey 12 ways to have a better life yeah that works but when does my life change i feel good for a week but I don't feel transformed. It's the same way in Christianity. It's the same way when we have the New Year's resolution. We go to the gym for two weeks. We feel good for a moment, but we don't have the transformation of better health. We have the good feeling of going to the gym for two weeks, but we don't set into a way of life. We don't set into a way of life. We don't set into a way of life that brings ultimate transformation. And when you hear the kingdom message from me or Mark or Bobby or Apostle or Big Mike or whoever is trumpeting the kingdom it feels good for about two weeks but it doesn't bring transformation to my marriage to my home because we won't allow what we're being taught to be set in because we don't see the ultimate transformation beyond ourself being transformed we actually need to start seeing cities being set ablaze schools having prayer again love invading every single area of the cosmos because god so loved the world that he gave his son to save the world And we made Christianity about you getting out of hell. Narcissism. So we build entire ministries about a man. That's why we have 12 churches in a city and suicide and depression and anxiety and fear run rampant because we're looking for a group of people to actually get knitted together to do something. We're actually looking for a group of people to start loving each other to make a difference in each other's lives first. How do I make your life easier? How can I look across the room and make somebody's life easier? I said this to the couple of the guys today. For the people who send me a text that feel like I don't feel a part of this church. Well, listen, you missed Friday night football game. You missed going to Toledo. You missed helping the luckies move. You missed helping Twisted Scissors go into their new place. There's about four ways that you could have been connected, but you decided to sit in criticism. And do, you know what critics are? People who do nothing. Visionaries are too busy. Visionaries are too busy fulfilling the plan that God has for their life. So critics sit and complain about who they're not connected to while the real workers are doing something. Faith without works is dead. 
This message of beloved identity is not about laziness. It's about connecting to the body of Christ. And if the right arm needs the left arm, then I'm there. And the right knee needs the left leg, I'm there. And if the right eye needs the left eye, I'm there. And if the ear needs the left ear, I'm there. Where are you at? If you're sitting on a couch, you're doing nothing but being caught in complacent religion, talking about how the world needs to change. And if we get a Republican president, there we go. Wrong. Because when the, they don't like what he did, they'll vote him out. And when they get a Democrat in there and don't like what he does, they'll vote him out. And guess what we're doing in the American church? And when we don't like what the pastor does, we'll vote him out too. This thing is so jacked up. We have no covenant, no family, no loyalty. You just go find somebody else to agree with. And that is the most demonic thing on the planet. Why would you say agreement's demonic? Because agreement could be powerful if it's in positive. But I'll tell you where agreement started in the negative. First, when a third of heaven agrees with some numbskull named Lucifer and leaves heaven in all of its splendor. And then the next agreement is the same rascal transforms into a snake and gets a woman to agree that God doesn't want you to be like him when the first verse of the Bible says you were made in his image. Agreement becomes dangerous when agreement is about you getting your way. Eve's issue was not the apple. Eve's issue was the mindset to agree that if I eat this. Her issue was self her issue, her issue was not eating the apple. Her issue was selfishness. Her issue was self-image. And that's why we're trumpeting this beloved identity message so that you can get to a place where we get over ourselves in a narcissistic America that's actually making you compare yourself to everybody else. And comparison is the thief of authenticity. And God created you to be you. God created Ross to be Ross. He created Kevin to be Kevin. Even though there's times when I look back and see Kevin's man bun, I see Ross. Just letting you on a secret here. There's many times I go home and say, my God, Kevin's starting to look more and more like Ross every day. God, I pray that he can play every instrument that Ross does. He can't, so he runs the sound. Kevin can't play anything, so Kevin runs the sound. But Kevin is awesome, and Kevin is not narcissistic, and Kevin is not selfish, and today is Kevin's birthday, and on Kevin's birthday, he was painting the Lucky's house. He's painting the Lucky's. He didn't ask for his birthday week or his birthday month or his birthday dinner. On his birthday, he's painting their house and bought them lunch. Ooh. I can't stand birthday week and month. I'm just telling you right now. I think it's the most grotesque thing on the planet. And Tina took that to Apostle about that. Jimmy doesn't like birthdays. And I got rebuked. Well, you don't want to honor nobody. It's not the fact that I don't want to honor anybody. I actually want to honor everybody. But I don't need to give you a whole month. I'll give you a whole month when I see you give somebody else a month. And everybody that has a birthday month don't do nothing for anybody else. That's why I don't like it. And everybody else who gets a birthday parade, don't do a birthday parade for everybody else. You're narcissistic. Woo! I could have went. But my mom and dad said, no, I did it anyway. My dad on it. I got to quit doing what I think. I got to quit. I made somebody religiously mad. I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe that preacher did that. You don't have a good marriage. That's all I'm saying. Woo! Woo! I would never do that. I promise you that. She would punch me in the mouth. 
back to the spiritual side. What are we doing here? What are we doing here? It's all spiritual anyway. Don't believe your Calvinism. It's all spiritual anyway. So what we need is true spirituality that is pure. What did I just show in this room? Pure, pure spirituality. In the eyes of our Father God is to make a difference in the lives of what? Orphans and widows. And here we go, justice-driven. I'm going to be a great Christian. I'm going to go, I'm, I'm going to foster care. I'm going to be a great Christian. I'm going to go find some old lady who's a widow, who husband, I'm going to bring her groceries. That's not what this means. You always have to dig a little bit deeper. Literally what that means is for true spirits, you need to make a difference in the lives of those that are fatherless. Those that have no relationship with authority. We are called into the earth as a community of believers, not to just feed the poor, because that's what we did. Because we could not, we did not know how to go love a Muslim boy. And you didn't know how to go love the weird kid in the band. And you didn't get, listen, we got to, so what we do, we create country clubs called church. And we got the golf club and we got the glee club and we got this club and that club. And that's our Christianity. But no, that's not what our Christianity was. It was to go find somebody that doesn't look like you, that does not have a father figure in their life. And you go and replace the absentee of hurt, pain, and guilt, and shame. And you actually become the light of Abba to the fatherless. That doesn't mean you go find some kid that don't have a dad. That's anybody who does not know if the father is Abba, go find the orphaned and show them the love of the father. Now, what's a widow? A widow is what? It's one without covering. It's one without protection. It's one that's lost their security. I need you to build a culture. I need you to build a culture that is going to love the fatherless and that is going to build a culture for those that have no covering and no protection. And guess what we've done in the American church? We don't want, vote the leader out. Vote the leader out. Get rid of the leader. Why are you listening to the leader? Why is there leadership, period? It got real quiet. Because first of all, if you won't deal with the absence of Abba, you'll never deal with covering and ask Victoria if storms come. Ask Nika if storms come. Ask me and Tina last year when we walked through what we walked through with Trenton if storms come. And it would have been horrible if we did not have a family and a kingdom family surrounding us and covering us so that when we're walking through one of the hardest times of our life, we wouldn't know what to do. So we're not here to look at our self-image to figure out how we can promote ourselves. We're here to join such a bond in family that if the fatherless and those that feel like they have no security whatsoever, they can walk in the door and feel love. And that's why I'm glad that Ross is mature enough that I can use him. He doesn't attend here every Sunday. And what's amazing, not attending here every Sunday, when I said the family come up and lay hands and pray blessings and love, he is, just comes right in. You know what that means? We're creating a culture here. So inside of creating a culture here, there's a handful of us that are getting this, but then there's a handful that continues to sits on the bank of the river and you're having nursery-itis, which means you don't want to pour into the next generation. You don't want to attend the house and get into communion when the doors are open. You want me to counsel you when it all hits the fan, but you don't want to put the oil in the lampstand. Now, I'm not talking to baby Christians now. I'm talking to y'all that have been with me for a long time. 
And what's knocking on your heart's door to say, don't need a prayer meeting, don't need a prayer walk, don't need spiritual counsel. I do, if I hear one more time, if I, I, you may get cussed at. No, you won't. I just said that because that made me feel good because Jason, Jason's got his Alabama shirt on and I'm just feeling redneck. <laughs> Got his 1984 tour Alabama shirt on. Just roll on highway, roll on along. Excuse me. Woo! Take me to another place where I can sing like you, Randy Owens. <laughs> but listen to me. We're missing the facts. We're missing. We're missing what it means to be so unified together. We're missing the importance of the legacy being passed on. We're missing the importance that creating such an environment that when he comes in the building, he doesn't feel like an outsider. He's completely in. And we have to figure out why there's people that call this place home but don't want to pour into the next generation, don't want to serve, don't want to. You love the council, you love, but you don't want to put oil in the lampstand. And I'm trying to figure out what is going on in this house. What has distracted you from your first love? That you, listen, if you call this home, then me and mama were there when the tears were running down the face and you were in this altar on a red carpet in the other altar and you were crying out, you're my one and only. I don't want anybody else. Who came in and stole your gaze? Because it's that atmosphere that wrecked your life and everybody else like Ross or anybody else who comes in this house deserves an atmosphere that I feel fatherless. I feel like I have no covering. I feel like I have nobody. But I came against a group of people that do nothing but show the love of God in every situation. True spirituality. Can we prepare a place for the fatherless and those that don't feel protected. Now here's the catch. Here's the catch. Does that mean I've got to be super Christian all the days of my life? No. No, man. You're going to catch yourself on days where you feel weak. And the Bible tells us of a story of a paraplegic that could not walk. And he had four friends that lowered him through the roof. You need those four friends in your life. Now I know where I was at. If I get one more time, one person in this house saying, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, and you have no spiritual counsel with you, I need you, because they're not coming to me, they're coming to you. I need you to be a real brother and sister and tell them, all right, if it's the word of the Lord, then where's the two or three witnesses? You want to get biblical? If it's Holy Spirit, the word of the Lord is established out of two or three witnesses. Not you locked in your room for hours by yourself coming out trumpeting the word of the Lord. If I go lock away, I call a brother or my apostle and say, I'm locking away. You've been taught a life. So you can't fool me. And you can't fool the people in this room. But we better watch allowing our hearts to turn very soft to some confusion and some manipulation that when somebody's walking through something, we need to rip the roof off and lower them. Could you imagine what that man was thinking? What in the, what are you guys doing? There's a man in there that'll teach you to walk. There's a man in there to teach you to walk. There's a man in there to teach you to walk. You know what happened tonight with my mom and dad? They just wanted to put a little bounce in Brandon's step. They just wanted, they, they were trying to fix Brandon. They know that there's a step and a fire that is inside of you that a generation needs to see. 
And so we go and we rip roofs open and we do whatever it takes to get our beloved to God. We get our beloved to God. What are you saying? I got to run it through, man? No, I'm not saying that at all. You're perverted thinking. If I think I want to be your crutch the rest of my life, that is not what I want to be. I don't even teach that here. What is truthfully taught here is when you are going through something, you are asked to pray to God. You go pray, I go pray. We come back and try to get on the same wavelength. Quit perverting father's sonship in this house. Quit perverting father's. There's no control here. There's no control here. But just like any dad, when you're walking down a wrong road and I can see it, it breaks my heart. And I'm sorry if I'm human. I never asked to be a senior pastor. I didn't go to Bible college for this. I didn't have men saying you're fifth degree, senior pastor, church of God, mountain assembly, church of God, Cleveland assemblies, assemblies of God. That's not what I wanted. That's not what, you know what I wanted to hold? I don't want to be a senior pastor. That's why this is ruffling my feathers. You know what I want to be? A father of a movement to see people saved, healed, delivered, set free. And that's only going to happen if we have hunger and fire for God that the fatherless come in and those that have no security come in and feel the love of God. And that's how this was birthed. My frustration is, the sons and daughters of this house are trying to get me to transform something that I'm not supposed to be. And then when I don't do what you want me to do, you distance yourself from me, Atina, and you try to put a Levitical robe on me and I'm not going to do it. You know what a Levitical robe is? Give me my way. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I'd rather watch you take a detour that you're right where you're supposed to be and you're right on time. I'd rather watch you walk as far away from this as possible. Fall flat on your face and then when you say, hey, love me, I'll love you. Because even if it's me and my wife in this room, we're gonna create a place for the fatherless. We're gonna create a place for those that need shelter. That's how we got the McDowell's because this message rings in my son. And when a little girl in school needed love, Trenton, not caring what Delilah can do, can't do, jump, not jump, athletic, don't matter. He went and loved on her when nobody else wanted to. And the other day she was in the weight room and she was having a tummy ache. And they couldn't get her calmed down. And you know what I did? Forget football. I walked out of the football coaching office, walked right down and sat on the bench with my Delilah. And put my arms around her, started loving the track coaches are looking at me like I'm crazy. And I'm like, look, man, I'm just her pastor. I'm just her spiritual father. I'm just... She knows me and she's safe here. And if you'll chill out for a second and get rid of your rules, watch me pull a 13-year-old in my arms. And while she's having anxiety, what your coaching can't fix, my arms can. Do you see what we're doing here? Do your sewer so so, so it, it's Delilah today, but what if it's another kid tomorrow? And what if it's Travis next week? And what what if what if what if? And we got to quit running away from authority. We have to stop running away from fathers that want to identify us. Just because we have father issues in our life does not mean every authority issue in our life is bad. But the truth's going to sting at times, man. It's going to sting. You want to know why? Because you're just in love with what you know. God's trying to show a whole culture a new way. How does he do that? I'm glad you asked. James, surprising verse. James 1.22. We're back here again. James 1.22. 
Don't just listen to the word of truth. What have I said that? Don't just listen to the word of beloved identity. And watch the next part. Do not respond to it. For that is the essence of self-deception. So always let his word become like poetry. Let God's word become like poetry. How do I know if I'm tracking with God's word? God's word is established out of two or three witnesses. Anything isolated ends up dying. This gets sticky because you don't... Remember what I read in Gideon, and we're going to get over here for a minute. Remember what I read in Gideon. They knew how to sow seeds. We get in church, we know how to sow seeds. What we don't know how to do is reap. Why? Because we shrink back. We hide. Why do we hide? Because we don't respond to the words beloved. And we shrink back in self-deception of being a lesser image of ourselves than the big deal that God died for. We start shrinking back to a smaller smaller self-deception image of who we are rather than the big deal that God died for or the big deal that he moved you here from Arkansas and Kentucky and all other states that God moved you. God pulled you out of the rat race of life in the gym over the last eight, nine years, not for you to shrink back to a lesser version of you, but for you to actually fulfill everything God has for you. God doesn't want you to shrink back. God doesn't want you to shrink back. God wants you to catapult forward and respond so you don't step into self-deception. So always let his word become like poetry written and fulfilled by your life. If you listen to the word and don't live out the message you hear, here's the greatest deception. The greatest deception in everybody that I counsel. We tried it your way. No, you didn't. You did the New Year's resolution. You went for two weeks, it felt good, and you stopped. Welcome to modern-day Western Christianity. We hear a word, we do it for two weeks. Should have set in by now. 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 Let's just do it. Let's do the the whole two weeks New Year's resolution. We go to the gym for two weeks. Self-deception. Get on the scale. Nope, not what I want. Get on the scale. Nope, not what I want. Put on those jeans. Not what I want. You're never going to transform staring at yourself. You're never going to stand. I just read to you the last part of the first part. How do you bring an atmosphere of fatherlessness when you realize how does my life affect other people? So now I go to the gym the way my mom goes to the gym, the way my mom lost 100 pounds. How? She wasn't doing it by getting on the scale, getting on the scale, checking her clothes. Her heart was, I want to be around for my grandkids. I want to be around when they get married. I want to be around when they graduate high school. I want to be around for some things. My dad changes his appetite. Why? Because I want to live to be 100 years old. The self Deception ended, or should I say self-promotion? Y'all tracking with me? This is why we can't succeed in the diet realm in Northeastern Ohio. This is why the church can't enter into real revival because we're like, how does it affect me rather than how does it affect everybody else? How does it, how's my walk with Jesus affecting my life? It's not working. It's not working because you haven't given it time yet. That's why our apostle came in and said, I tie the hands. I've been doing devotion for, I've been praying with my family. I've been, then when we're not satisfied with ourselves, we start, 
Can I just unmask the, the most perverted, sick thing that I get a text message about or a phone call, me and my wife? You ready? You ready? You ready? Because you're not going to like it. My husband won't pray with me. My husband won't pray with me. Do you think every night I get down on my hands and knees and pray with Tina? First of all, if I'm running my house right, she's in such maturity. She's meditating to the Lord all day. I'm meditating to the Lord all day. And I don't have to pray dysfunctional prayers over her. You're dysfunctional and you think him praying over you is going to be good enough, but you're so critical that won't be good enough either. That won't be good enough either. That won't be good enough either. Because the problem is he wants to run his home, but you won't let him run the home. And if he'll just pray, if he'll just pray, he is praying. Yeah, and every son that calls me is going, I, 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 and it's never good enough. It's never good enough. It's never good enough. It's never, you're Ishmael in his voice of him trying to run his own home. You're the Ishmael. A nagging wife, a nagging wife that continues to look at the man of God and say, you're not good enough. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. How can I lead the church if you look at me every single day and go, Jimmy, you're not good enough. 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 Guess what I'm going to finally do? Quit. That's not honor. You've been taught a way in beloved identity that if your husband is acting like a complete imbecile, you were never called to be his covering, which means it's not true religion undefiled. You were not called to be his covering. You were not called to be his covering. You were not called to be his covering. How about we meditate on the good things of the Lord and when things are really jacked up, you bring them where you're supposed to, to spiritual authority. I'll look the man in the face the way it's written in this book. Get your combat boots off. Problem is I had people mothering to this house that's doing it behind closed doors and then telling you not to do it because you're scared to death to go to her because she actually submits to her husband. Oh, it's quiet. Why is it quiet? Your marriage ain't fun. Why is it quiet? I'm giving you the truth that would set you free because it messes with your self-deception of who you are. It messes with your self-deception. Gentlemen, this don't get you off scot-free because even when she acts like a knucklehead and don't submit, you're supposed to love her the way God loves the church and he sees every single one of us, a beloved, in our brokenness, in our shatteredness, in our stupidity, in our nagging. Every single one of us is supposed to be patient and kind, patient and kind, patient and kind. And while I am screwing up, God is patient and kind with me. So when Tina's having a bad week, I need to be patient and kind to Tina and love her and honor her and lift her up so that righteousness peace pierces her heart. Nagging and complaining and arguing will never fix anything. I should get a thousand amens. I'm going to stop reading your text messages. Somebody should have got them ran around the room. Somebody should have got them ran around the room. Why am I saying this? Because I'm not going to be your crutch anymore. I'm not going to be your crutch because marriage isn't about me having a black robe and a gavel and telling my wife and kids what to do. That is not it. That is me being a covering of James 1.27 that they never feel fatherless and they always feel protected and they always feel secure. And then guess what? Submission doesn't become that hard. But what we'll do, we'll hear this message. We'll apply it for two weeks. And then all of a sudden, 
Guess what's coming? The test. <laughs> no, it's for real. The test comes. You heard the word. That's what the Bible said, right, Ross? I, I know he's smarter than me, college graduate. The word says you hear it, you respond to it. Now don't get caught in self-deception and shrink back. Don't shrink back. Actually realize you're beloved by God. Your wife's loved by God. Your bratty, snotty, nose, punk, selfish, immature, bratty-like kids are loved by God. You know what's amazing about if you ever get in real devotion? You'll realize that they're supposed to be immature. You'll realize that your wife is an emotional vessel that is called to be weaker than you. Because we get calloused before they get calloused. And if they got calloused, it's because you got calloused. Because everywhere the family goes, your head actually took them there. But you're not helping. Look, you're not, you're not helping. You're not helping by nagging. You're not helping. Can't fix the situation no matter how much you... If he would just... No, that won't be enough. Then he don't read enough in the Bible and then he don't read enough books and then he don't... I'm preaching Romans 8 and you're telling him you're not good enough. Damon Thompson is declaring beloved identity and we're going, you're not good enough. Because if you were good enough, I wouldn't feel like this. He's good enough, so you shouldn't feel like that. So you actually exalted your husband above God. I'm preaching. I'm preaching the greatest marriage counseling session for any believer. Non-believers will be like, whatever, that man ain't going to tell me what to do. But watch, but watch, but watch, but watch. Who's called to be the light in the earth? Who's called to be the light in the earth? Who's called to be the light in the earth? Who's called to be the salt in the earth? A lot of people don't like me as a person because I'm loud and I'm a big personality and I'm just me and people just have a hard time with me. But you know what? I hear more than anything from anybody. But man, dude, you and your wife love each other. Man, your kids are awesome in the school. Like, man, like, what do you guys got going on? I love Jesus. Jesus loves me. She loves Jesus. She loves me. It makes it easy. Doesn't make it perfect. Doesn't make it perfect. There's days where she wants to tell me to read between the lines. You figure that out on yourself. Okay, there's days that she wants to tell Jimmy Lovejoy, read between the lines, young man, because I'm acting more like myself. And in that moment, it's not, freeze, stop. We're going to get on our hands and knees and we're going to pray and we're going to cry out to God. What she does is she gets tender to me because when she used to try to push the Marine around, guess what she got? The Marine. You push the bear, the claws are going to come out. If you were really confronted with a bear, you're not going to slap it and poke it with a stick. You're going to go. No sudden movements. Bill Cutright is going to go the frick off. No sudden movements. John Bollinger's about to lose his. <laughs> if we were confronted with a real bear, we wouldn't poke it. 
So why are we poking what we're in covenant with? Right. And then we turn around and try to provoke God to fix our mess that we created. And guess what he's guess what the answer is? Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love your neighbor. I think they lay next to you in bed. If not, you need to call me tonight. Love your neighbor as he loved them. Guess what the answer is the whole time? Love covers a multitude of sin. And so then I get stuck being counselor, which I did not go to school for. Mike Thompson says I'm actually amazing at it. I can't stand it. I'm just being honest with you. Tina says I'm good at it. I can't stand it. But I sit and wonder why I give people, watch, rules in counseling. Maybe if you try this, maybe if you try that, maybe if you try this, they'll do it for two weeks because their try didn't have love attached to it. Do you know what their try had? A fix-all. Fix-alls don't work. Love works. Fix... I think I just saved all psychiatrists and counselors a ton of if we can get them to love one another. If we can love one another, we can fix racism. If, what am I teaching you here tonight? Respond to the message of beloved identity. And when the day comes that you feel frustrated... There are going to be days you completely 100% can figure it out on your own. There's going to be days that you can't. And we figured it, we showed them tonight, didn't we, Glenn? We showed everybody how to fix it. Glenn, did you tell me what was wrong with you tonight? Did you forget to tell me? (laughs) BB, did you come up and just tell me everything that's wrong with your life? Did you forget to tell me? Do you know what we did for Brandon and Glenn? Just loved on them. Just loved on them. And when he walked away, it felt like fresh wind, didn't it? And when you walked away, it felt like fresh wind. You know what's funny? For all of us that prayed, it felt like fresh wind, didn't it? What are we doing? I'll tell you what we're doing. You want to know what we're doing? Go with me to Judges. Chapter 6, and I'm just, I'm just going to read a conversation. Can I read you a conversation between God and Gideon? God and Gideon, God and Gideon. Judges 6.11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under a tune of the tree, which was in Oprah, which belonged to Joash, the Abezrite. While his son Gideon threshed wheat in a wine press in order to hide, and I taught you all of this stuff, Midianite means strife and contention. Hello, hello, hello. While hiding from strife and contention, which you weren't hiding from, you weren't, he was in a place of celebration, a wine press, while he was sifting wheat. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you. Did he forget to talk about what he's doing wrong? Gideon, you're in a wine press. 
You shouldn't be in there sifting wheat in a wine press. Do you know how foolish you are? Do you know how stupid you are? I can't believe I created the grapes of the earth, the wheat of the ground, so you can make bread and you can make wine, and you're confusing them, Gideon. Why are you screwing this all up? Because the problem was Gideon had already shrunk back in self-deception. He'd already heard the word of the Lord 40 years ago when he was young in the days of Deborah when Israel got saved and Israel got put on the mountaintop and Israel knew the greatness of God. But somehow, somehow he got so confused that he didn't even know how to do life correctly. That's what's happening in our marriages, in our homes. You actually know how to do this, but you're scared to death to do it in strife and contention. Medianite means strife and contention. Do you know how he got there? Do you know how he got to the place of hiding? He got to the place of hiding because after Deborah had performed many miracle signs and wonders and led the children of Israel, all it took was watch. One day, one day, watch. You're getting all the goods tonight. You're getting all the goods. Some of you are mad at me. Need to figure out why. No, I'm serious. Some of you are mad at me. Bobby Limley came in here and said, why would you be offended at this man? It's not saying I'll never answer your text message again. It's just the little silly ones will stop. Why? Because we had a perversion of truth. He's in a wine press. Why are you in a wine press? Your family, millions of you, sow seed into the ground. The only way you can reap the harvest is to shrink back in self-deception and hide, realizing you're the greatest nation on the planet. Israel, you are the greatest nation on the planet, and you're going to hide because strife and contention showed up. And that's what happens. When strife and contention shows up in our homes, in our church, we start shrinking back. I don't need to go every Sunday. I don't need to go to prayer meeting. I don't need to do this. I don't, need, I don't need to live it. You've been taught a way of life to bring forth transformation. You're going to heaven because you miss church. But you're not going to see global transformation not tending the lampstand. Revelations. I see seven golden lampstands. One of them looks like the son of man. What's his issue with the lampstands? You lost your first love. You lost your first love. Strife and contention, seven churches of revelations lost their first love because of strife and contention. You lost the ability to speak to the lover of your soul who would fix it all. Love covers a multitude of sin. Could you look at me and say, okay, for six months, I handled everything in love. That's what I'm waiting. That's what I'm waiting for in a marriage conference, in a marriage counseling session, in a marriage phone call. I've done nothing but love. Okay, now we got some major issues. And guess what's going to fix the major issues? Love. Same answer again. Beloved, 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 beloved. Beloved, beloved, beloved. But how, how in the world, how in the world did the children of Israel who saw the Red Sea split, all these amazing signs and wonders of the Bible, how did they end up hiding in caves, hiding in dens, in poverty? How did this happen? They didn't know who they were. They, listen, your money issue is an identity issue. Your order issue is a money issue. And money issues are order issues, and order issues are identity issues, and identity issues is because of devotion, and because of devotion, you need to be present with God. It's not how much you do, it's how present you are to Him. Okay? 
So inside of this, how did the children of Israel get here in this story? How did this young warrior, is what the Bible calls him, warrior, Gideon, Gideon the warrior, how in the world did he start hiding when he was born for greatness? And God even calls him great while he's hiding. I'll tell you how he got there. There was a witch or a warlock in the time of the Midianites named Adub. And you know what he did? He manipulated light. He manipulated the truth of light. And so when it was supposed to be day, it became dark. And when it was dark, it became day. And the children of Israel were amazed by the signs and wonders of the false leadership, false authority of the Midianites that we must serve their God and we must submit to them. I had to look this stuff up because I'm sitting here wondering like, how in the world did they go from Deborah to hiders, cowards? Because they were so attracted to signs and wonders that when they got manipulated by false fathers, don't call them witches and warlocks, call them what they are, false authority. They manipulated what's really happening in the earth and said it was a sign from God. Now, watch this. Because they weren't Midianites and they were Israeli, this is going to get good. How does the most powerful nation on the planet shrink back? They weren't told to go worship idols like we think in the Bible because that's what happens here in a minute. A wooden idol gets tore down. Because, yeah, they posted an idol, one. It didn't say they tore down idols. I looked it up in many translations. They tore down the idol. They put up one idol in the, in the family. Watch. They put up one thing that they begin to worship inside of the home. And the next thing for 40 years, what they were taught to do to worship Baal, watch this. They were taught to go find still water, not running water, not living water. Go find stale, stagnant water and stare at yourself. Start self-examining yourself. Guess what they lost when they started looking at all their flaws? They started worshiping the good, the bad, and the ugly about themselves. And they lost their courage. Watch how the worship of Baal works in the Old Testament. When Elijah gets ready to call down fire from heaven, what do all the children of Israel and those worshipers of Baal do? Cut themselves. So if I can get you to harm yourself and stare at yourself, you'll never figure out who you are. If I can get you to harm yourself and get you to keep looking at yourself because you weren't called to look at yourself. You were called to behold the beauty of the Lord. And that's what happened when we started worshiping in here. Instead of coming in and saying, I had a crummy week and I'm tired and I don't want to go to church and I don't want to do this and complain, 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 complain. We get over the worship of Baal, which is on our cell phones, which is on everything around us. Narcissism, narcissism, narcissism. Stare at yourself, stare at yourself. Baal worship is strong again. Go find any kid that cuts themselves. Go find adults that spend more hours hours on their cell phone than talking to their spouse. We find a self-absorbed generation of people. And God says, yeah, but I got one that if I just touch his heart, if I got one, I'll, if I can just touch his heart, no matter what somebody else taught him, I'm going to rewire the way he thinks. I'm going to rewire the way he thinks. And guess what? When God starts calling you beloved, look what the conversation looks like. 
Look what the conversation looks like. And the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and said to him, the Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. Gideon says back to the Lord, oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened to us? Do you know why he said that? Why is all this happening to us? Because guess when the angel of the Lord showed up? Passover. At the place of transformation where they went from slaves to sons. Gideon was crying out from his heart, where are you? Where are you? My family's been slaves to this for years. Listen, marriage after marriage, divorce after divorce, addiction after addiction, alcoholism. God, where are you? Well, if you'll stop looking at yourself for one minute, I'll show you where I'm at. If you stop believing the way culture says that I am and the way culture says that what this thing's supposed to look like, I'm going to show you what a big deal is, Gideon. If you quit thinking about yourself, I'll show you what this really looks like. I'll show you what this looks like. But why was Gideon crying out? Why was he crying out? Because it was Passover and they were afraid and they hid and they were surviving. What are we supposed to do at Passover? What were they told to do in Deuteronomy 16, 16? All the head of the house, go prepare your greatest gift to God. Why? So you could be reminded that I was the God that delivered you from slavery. See what happens when you don't come into his house in a place of celebration, but you come in as a survivor? You'll start going, where were you at? The God of the gym. Where were you at? The God of Carolina Revival. Where were you at? God of Azusa Street. And he said, I'm still here and I'm in you. I'm actually inside of you. I'm actually in you. God, where are you? I'm in you. I'm actually in you. But you can't see yourself. I'm actually in you. I'm actually in you. Watch this conversation. Watch this conversation. Gideon said to him, Oh Lord, if the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened to us? And where are all of his miracles, which our fathers told us about saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt, from slavery? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of strife and contention. What's going on in my home, God? What's going on in my home? Why won't my husband pray with me? Why is our money running out? What's going on, God? What's going on, God? You don't know who you are. Oh, it is quiet in here which means I'm preaching truth and it's up for you to respond to it. It's up to you to respond to it. You delivered us into the hands of strife and contention and made for themselves dens and caves and the strongholds which are in the mountains. Listen to that. You delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to them and said, go in this might of yours. What might? He doesn't want to talk about the past. He only wants to talk about the future. Some of you are still mad at me the way I'm preaching because you're still locked on to your past. I'm giving you permission to only look forward. You think you're going to wake up tomorrow and things aren't going to change because that's how your New Year's resolutions has been, always been. And that's how your church services has always been. And that's how these sermons always... All you got to do is tap into one thing. I'm loved. And it's not going to be the same tomorrow. It's not going to be the same tomorrow. So then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours. And you shall save Israel from the hand of the strife and contention. Watch. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Once again, who am I? You know, it's funny. God's not going to stop having this conversation in your doubt. That's why even though I offend you, you keep coming back here. 
That's why you keep turning on Apostle D. Because something really inside you says, I don't want to be in this wine press forever. I don't want to be in this financial struggle forever. I don't want to be in a marriage where we continue to struggle. I don't want to be in a city that looks poverty-driven. There's something inside you that's actually born for revolution. That's why when this truth comes like this, and it's not just God loves you, go on your way. No, I'm telling you to actually buckle in and get away with the Lord and get over the bad parts of who you are because that's all we've been taught to do is stare at the bad parts. Because somebody manipulated truth to us. Just like the children of Israel here. Somebody manipulated truth. So I'm just going to stare at all the bad parts and not the good parts. And love will work out all the bad parts where we are weak, he is strong. Okay, I'm almost landing this plane. So he said to them, oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. Gideon, you're related to what tribe? Northgate, this better hit with you. The, the tribe of the ox? You're the weakest of the tribes of Israel. You're the only legacy tribe. Manasseh and Ephraim are the only tribes named after children, not fathers. The real tribe of Ephraim and Manasseh should be called the tribe of Joseph, which should be called the tribe of dreamers. Do you realize when you stare at your imperfections so much, you actually lose your dream? And not only do you lose your dream, you lose the dream of your legacy. And you get buried inside of time, which means you get buried inside of anxiety. And we are an anxiety-driven nation right now because we can't dream. Because all we do is look at the bad parts of who we are and we compare ourselves to everybody else. So I'm going to give you one last, Lord. We're the tribe of Manasseh, not even named after our fathers. We're so immature and so weak and so broken. And he said, no, 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 stop looking at that glass that way. You're named after legacy. You're named after the dreaming tribe, which makes you the strongest because where there is no vision, where there is no dreams, the people perish. So I need a dreaming tribe to figure out who they are. My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him again, surely I will be with. Didn't even say what they're going to do. I'm just with you. Some of you are so enamored in self, you're trying to figure out what you're going to do. And why don't you just realize he's with you? Because Gideon don't even know what he's about to do. He just don't want to be in the wine press anymore, sifting wheat. Do you know what he doesn't want to be? He just doesn't want to be in strife and contention anymore. And you know what will pull you out of strife and contention? He's with you, beloved. He's with you, beloved. He's with you, beloved. He's with you, beloved. Surely I will be with you and you will defeat strife and contention as one man. No more division. That's why I got to get on this thing of why, why is this house not full? We have a baptism at the lake, 200 people show up. Because somewhere we're letting strife and contention and distraction convince us that it's not important to be in here to fill this lampstand with oil so that the depressed, anxiety-driven, broken culture that doesn't know the Father and doesn't know the shelter of family, we can actually be a city set on a hill. 
But we can't be a city set on a hill when we're still wrestling with our own brokenness and heartline fractures that apostle preached at back in 2020. And what did he tell you how to deal with your hairline fractures of your heart? First thing he told you is get out of the Laban mentality. What's the Laban mentality? When you sit and run and confirm everything to a brother, but won't take anything to a father. And what happens is fathers look at and give away daughters. So brothers think they're fathers and they're actually manipulating brothers and manipulating brothers that stick around long enough actually become manipulating fathers to the next generation. They're actually manipulating brothers inside of this generation and they actually become manipulated brothers in the next generation. I just said a mouthful. Let me break that down to you real quick. When Isaac was going to get married, Laban, her brother, gave her away which produced a manipulated brother and a manipulated sister, or in this case, in the American church, brothers keep manipulating each other by saying, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. And that manipulation of sibling rivalry births a manipulated son in Jacob who actually goes to get married runs into Laban, who is now a father of two daughters. And one of them is called one with no vision. And that's not a knock on Leah. So when you have manipulated brothers that become manipulated fathers, produce generations without visions. That's why Jacob couldn't figure out that he was Israel. I'm preaching, man. I'm preaching. I'm preaching. Because the issue is we don't know who we are because you've been taught how to way of live a kingdom life beyond heaven or hell and you literally choose not to apply it. And inside of his love for you, when you miss it, he comes and scoops you up. So what are you doing? Telling a bunch of people they missed it? No, I'm just telling you no matter where you're at on the road, he's with you. But you can actually get to a point where you stop taking detours. You can actually get to the point, children of Israel, where the 40-day, 40-year journey actually becomes 10 days. It actually becomes the 8 into the 9, which brings transformation. Because I don't believe that they walked in a circle. That'd be foolish to walk past the promised land for 40 years. I don't think they came anywhere near it. You know what I think they walked in? A figure 8. New beginnings, new beginnings, new beginnings. New beginnings, new beginnings. And the triangle over here, which opens dimensions, that triangle was actually the promised land and they never came anywhere near it. Until a Joshua generation said, I'll go over there and take a look at it. And he said, I think we can absolutely obtain it. And guess what everybody else said to them was caught in the new beginning, the New Year's resolution, New Year's resolution. We can't get that. He said, we'll so defeat those giants, we'll make them our bread. The same spirit that was in a Joshua was the same one that's in a Gideon. And God will be persistent, whether it's 40 years or 10 days, to tell Joshua or tell Gideon, you're beloved, you're beloved, you're beloved, you're beloved, you're beloved. We'll go around, listen, we'll go around this in your 30s. We'll go around this in your 40s. You don't want to listen to this in your teenage years? Then I'll come back to you in your 20s. I'll come back to you in your 30s. I'll come back to your. You know what generational curses look like? I'll tell you what a generational curse looks like. It looks like a man who was visited in his 20s and didn't yield to beloved identity. And God comes again in his 30s and God comes again in his 40s and a generational curse is not what beats him down it's the curse of reckless love that won't stop coming after you 
And I refuse to be the common Christian that actually believes in God that in all my deathbed think, if I pray to prayer, I'm gonna make it to heaven. Yeah, you know what your deathbed represents? A life that you could actually flip the world upside down. But you know how loving he is when you think you miss that? He'll birth it in the next generation and give you a front row seat to the great cloud of witnesses. You actually don't ever miss a thing. He's just looking for somebody to say yes, man. He's just looking for somebody to say yes. I'm going to tell everybody in this room, man, when, when Mark called Chad Hunter out, I wept. I wept like a baby. I'll tell you one of the reasons I think I wept. I don't know if he'll ever walk through these doors again. But when you know what my biggest cry out is for? That his children who've experienced this never forget when beloved identity came in that gym and their little sister that had a golf ball sized tumor on her neck. Beloved identity came and choked it out. May Reagan never forget that day. The rest of it, no matter what anybody calls me, that wasn't me that did it. It was just me that was willing to set an atmosphere with Joey Mitchell and Mike Manichi and Mike Thompson and a handful of us in the gym that said we're going to create true religion where those that feel fatherless and those that feel like they have no way out. And at that moment, Reagan, Chad, and Chrissy had no way out and perfect love came into that service and choked out a tumor. So I'm asking this group again, what Mark and De- I, listen, Mark and Des, God bless them. I get what they're saying. Recovenant your honor to us. That's not you giving me money. That's you saying yes back to what this house is supposed to be. I could, I could look at the puddle and say that, yep, that's everybody giving me money. Honor me, honor me, honor me. That's not what that is. That's when there's 530 in prayer and you're laying in bed, get up. Get up. When we call for a prayer walk of the city, get up. When we go to Toledo and you sat at home because you weren't with the Luckies or the McDowell's, get your butt to Toledo and lay hands on kids in Springfield High School and watch them become the first fruits of what Apostle said in Kentucky of high schools being set ablaze for the glory of God. How do I know this about that? The smallest church that was attended in Kentucky was the first one that received the blaze, the beloved identity in their school system. I hope you're hearing me. This ain't a rebuke, man. This is the willingness to have a fresh yes. My and Tina's marriage transformation back eight years ago, seven years ago, was not us applying a bunch of rules. It was actually us loving each other rightly. But it was also, you know, you know what I did when we first went through our marriage counseling? And we didn't have a bad marriage. I was just full of myself. You know what changed the self-image? My apostle told me to start journaling what the Lord's telling me in the process of what I wanted to change. Do you know what I did the first four days? All my weaknesses. All my weaknesses. And and I, I still have the journal. Day five came, and I went to journal about how my anger and my pride and my, I, I went, because I was just, I'm going to be like Daniel. I'm going to keep praying against my anger and my pride and my attitude towards my wife. I'm going to keep where I'm weak, where I'm weak, where I'm weak. And the Lord said, not today. And I started writing down, I'm loved. And that's where I came with the the phrase that you hear me say, choose to love. Choose to forgive. Choose to be gentle. 
choose. Listen, I had enough people tell me they weren't coming to church tonight for silly reasons. Not working in the nursery. And I wanted to come in here like Jimmy Lovejoy of the gym and give you a one-two. Everybody get your butt in the altar. But I choose to love. And I choose to forgive. And I choose to be kind. And I choose. And guess what? When we first started walking that out, we got tested. I can remember the first time I wanted to scream at her. I wanted to punch the wall. I wanted to... And I could hear the Lord say, look at her. Look at her. Instead of seeing her as an opponent, I started seeing her as my beloved wife. Now watch. At noon today, I wanted to come in and give you guys the one too. But then I started thinking about the McDowell's. And I started thinking about the Yeldon's. I started thinking about other people going through things. It's a month ago this weekend, Victoria lost her husband. She don't need to get rebuked tonight. You know what she needed? A place that was safe where she don't feel fatherless and she feels secure. And I could have been mad about who's not here, but you know what? I saw Victoria over here. Tears running down her face. And I'll tell you how thin the great cloud of witnesses is. I believe Joshua is standing next to you in the room tonight. You want to know why? Because God knew her heart. Oh, you believe in ghosts? No, but spirits are fully alive. Quit giving demons their room. Josh ain't no ghost. Josh is a fully spirited man alive the same way as Jesus. You can't see the good because you don't want to. I don't give any demon their room. And that's what I used to do in warfare. I'll call demons out and I'll look for them. I'll start, I'll pray against them. You're, you're, not, you're a waste of my time. If I'm focused on what's good, I can't see demons. The only reason I could see and talk to demons back in the day is because I looked for them. Put them in their place. Put strife and contention in its place. Put strife and contention in its place. I don't know how to end this. I don't know how to end this. Because I don't want you to go to the altar and grovel. That's not what I want. But you know what I want you to do? I want you to be real. I want you to be loved. And I want you to be whole. And I want you to be whole, and I want you to be loved, and I want you to be real. The earth is crying out for you to be real, for you to be beloved, and for you to be whole. But what you behold will show you that you are beloved, and you can be real. Love's the answer to everything I've said tonight. And love will always be the answer to everything in our world. But will you be real right now as we have beheld and talked about how we loved we are? And can I ask this question one more time in the room? How many of you may have a small or a big prayer request that I need the way maker to move in my marriage, in how I see myself, in how I view other people? The only way that I can do the things that I do is know that I'm loved. 
I have people stab me in the back all the time. I should be a bitter, mean man, but I'm not because I realize that only hurt people hurt people. And the only people hurting people are people that don't realize they're loved. That's it. What's going on in your home? It's just absent of some love. What's going on in our schools, Ross? It's just absent of real, genuine, authentic love. Not this fake unity that we keep portraying. I'm talking real, genuine love. Where a man lays down his life for a friend. There is no greater love. So we leave here today with the greatest answer. Is my life worth love so that it can affect others? And the answer 100% of the time is yes is yes, is yes. Let's just close our eyes for a second. Close your eyes at home. If there's anybody in the room, I need God to move in my home, in my family, in my life. Strife and contention is making me be a different person than I really want to be. I'm telling you, every eye is closed in this room. Like Gideon, can you cry out today by going, God, where are you? Where are you? He's right here. And I just want you to slip your hand up. Come on. I'm ready to see change. Full blown. Nobody's looking. Keep them up. Keep them up. I'm ready to see change. Yep, there it is. Now we're getting real. Now we're getting real in the room. You won't need counseling. You Listen, we're always going to need prayer, but I'm telling you, this whole counseling thing, love will fix it all. Love will fix it all. There it is. Hands up. Keep them 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 up. Now let love come into the heart. Let love come into the heart where you think you're failing and you think you're missing. Come on, let's just pray in this room because there's hands up all over the room. And I'm just going to walk around and just, just, just touch those that have their hand. Tina, come with me, honey. Come with me. Come with me. Strife and contention no longer has a place where you think that you are any less than great. You are amazing. God sees your marriage amazing. He sees your family amazing. He don't see it the way we see it. And our heart has been wounded. We've been wounded by words. We've been wounded by our past. We've been wounded by so many things. And today, this is where the finances get fixed. This is where prayer in the house changes. Because it's not prayers of fix me. It's prayers of love me. I don't pray for God to fix my kids. I pray that my kids know the true depth of the love of God. Hope is beautiful. Hope is beautiful. No shrinking back. We sung that tonight. Hope is beautiful. Peace is beautiful. I need some people to really pray into peace because there are some people in this room, they, they just want peace. They just want peace. They just want peace. He made us a promise when he came. We sing it every Christmas. Prince of Peace. Emmanuel, God with us. What did he kept telling Gideon? I'm with you. What do we sing every Christmas? 
He's with us. Emmanuel, Noel, Noel. Come and see what God has done. Noel, Noel. Come and see what God is doing. I make an announcement in this house with amazing people. Come and see what God is doing in Streetsboro, Ohio. Noel. No, there's a sound. There's a sound coming out of Streetsboro. And God has placed the peace. Ooh, man, I feel this. Hair on my arms stood up. God has placed the pieces together for a love revolution. And you're in the center of it. You're in the center of it. You're perfect. You're right on time. You're right where you're supposed to be. I'm going to say the words of my apostle. This is a safe place for you to raise your children. This is a safe place for you to raise your children. This is a safe place for you to raise your children. This is a safe place for you. It is not Holy Spirit without 100% full trust. It is not Holy Spirit. Mark Castro came in here and gave all of us truth. Holy Spirit's voice has no accusation to it. So where there is no trust, I'm telling you there's no Holy Spirit. Because I could go into some dark places with some people and trust them and they have stabbed me in the back or looked at me in a negative light. But why don't I fall prey to that? Because I'm not in strife and contention. I'm not being wowed by perverted light. I know what the real thing looks like. I know what the real thing looks like. Brandon, I want you to come pray for my dad now. He prayed for you. Now, I want mighty man of valor. Because I think there's such a great peace in you, Brandon, that my dad's inner storm. You know what some of my dad's inner storm is? He lost his first wife to a drunk driver. And I know my dad, my dad has asked God, why didn't you take me? You took her, but why didn't you take me? These are real inner struggles, man. These are real inner struggles, man, that we just hide in dens and caves. We just hide in dens and caves and let strife and contention run our lives. I'm going to read you the last part of this and I'm going to teach on it here soon, but I've got to read you this part of what God says to Gideon. Go with me to Judges 6, 23. Here's the last piece of the Lord talking with Gideon. Then the Lord God said to him, Peace be with you and do not fear. You shall not die. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it the Lord is peace. Peace be with you. In this age, it's peace. There is no strife and contention. Do you know what the strife and contention is? You don't know who you are, beloved. And when you say you're the weakest in Manasseh, you're beloved. You know what we're going to learn here in the next couple weeks? God puts a small remnant to change the culture together, Jason. You know how he finds those? He finds those that have a servant's heart. 
They're really not built for war. And God tells Gideon to go out and recruit thousands of men. But thousands of men don't head into battle with him, Jason. You know how many head in? 300. Do you know how he found the 300? When they came to a river, those that would just scoop the water and take a sip, but were willing to stay by Gideon's side. There's something inside of covenant, loyalty, and family. Those that were willing to run with beloved Gideon saw the victory. Do you know who didn't? Those who got to the still waters saw their reflection and buried their face. They could not stop doing what they always had done. And that's worry about self rather than others. You don't have to worry about you. You know why? God will take care of you. He's your God and he's on your side. Don't get caught in the trap of believing you have to fix it. Let him do it. And the amazing part is with those 300 people, Jason, in the book of Judges, 300 were willing to go to war with a nation, Caden. They were willing to go to war with a nation and they never had to raise a sword because God sent the angel armies to win that battle and guess what they were only asked to do? Release a sound. Love one when the servants of beloved identity stuck together and just released their sound together. Thank you for listening to this message from the North Gate. If you would like to donate to this ministry, please go to www.thenorthgateoh.com and click on the link at the bottom of the homepage.